You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. It's a poorly understood, highly debilitating disorder marked by severe, chronic mental and physical exhaustion. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me today is Dr. Jacob Teitelbaum. Dr. Teitelbaum has dedicated his career to researching, developing, and teaching about effective treatment for chronic fatigue syndrome. He is a best-selling author, lectures internationally, and is the medical director of the Fibromyalgia and Fatigue Centers based in Dallas, Texas. Dr. Teitelbaum, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. It's great to be with you today. What is chronic fatigue syndrome? The way that I teach people about it is that these illnesses, and chronic fatigue syndrome is related to its painful cousin, fibromyalgia. These syndromes both represent an energy crisis in the body where the body has spent more energy than it's able to make. Because of this, it's like growing a fuse. The area that uses the most energy for its size in the body goes offline first, and that area is called the hypothalamus. And that's why, because the hypothalamus controls sleep, hormonal function, through the pituitary, temperature regulation, and autonomic function, it does an enormous amount of work in a very small area. And because of that, as the energy levels drop into cells, it starts to malfunction first. And what we're finding is that CFS and fibromyalgia both represent hypothalamic dysfunction. And we'll talk about the different symptoms, but you'll see that most of these trace back to the energy crisis and eventually to the hypothalamus not working. What led to your interest in chronic fatigue syndrome? I got interested in it the old-fashioned way. I had it. When I was in medical school back in 1975, I had a severe viral illness, and it basically left me bedridden. For a number of months, I actually had to drop out of medical school, and since I was paying my own way through, I was homeless at that point in time. I had no scholarship, no work study, no loan. My parents, my dad was dead. So I saw firsthand what people go through with this illness. I was lucky enough to recover and have spent the last 30-plus years uh, researching how to treat these illnesses effectively and also, as you noted, writing the books and doing uh, a teaching campaign. What are the major symptoms? Basically, tired, achy, brain fog, and can't sleep. One of the main things that I would like practitioners to get is that it's very simple to diagnose this question if you simply ask people, are they exhausted or in pain? If people have severe fatigue or severe widespread pain, there's only one question you really need to ask them. Are they able to get a good night's sleep? If they tell you that they have horrible insomnia in association with disabling fatigue, then you probably have this process in play because most people, when they're exhausted, they sleep all night. But in this illness, because the hypothalamus controls sleep, these patients have the paradox of exhausted and can't sleep. Can they have one without the other? It's possible. You'll have about 25% of people who have pure chronic fatigue syndrome with no pain. Now, for chronic fatigue syndrome, technically, you have to have unexplained persistent fatigue that there's no obvious cause for and that does not go away with rest or vacation. And you also have to have four out of eight minor criteria. But as I, as I noted, these are research definitions, and clinically you'll find that if you're exhausted with a paradox of can't sleep despite that, you'll have CFS. And about 25%, as I mentioned, will not have the chronic widespread pain with it. The muscle pain is associated with an energy crisis in the muscles. When muscles don't have enough energy, they get locked in a shortened position. Uh, it actually takes more energy for muscles to relax than to contract. Uh, think about the writer's cramp. Think about the rigor mortis. Uh, rigid as a board, and then these muscles develop widespread pain. So most people with the energy crisis will also have widespread pain, but about 25% will not. When were these conditions first identified and recognized? Oh, they've been identified as 
far back uh, as Dr. Nobel of Nobel Prize fame had it. Florence Nightingale had it. So these have been recognized for many years, uh, stress-related illnesses, bunker fatigue, those kind of things. But they've just recently, because of the stress of modern life, begun to skyrocket. What we're finding in the last 10 years is that the prevalence of chronic fatigue syndrome has increased supposedly from 0.4% to 2.5% of the population based on a recent CDC study that just came out last month. So that's a tenfold increase. But because of exclusionary criteria, if you look at it, it really represents closer to 9% of the population. Four studies out of Africa and, and Europe have shown that it has skyrocketed and increased from 2% of the population to 8 to 9% of the population also over the last 10 years there. So even though it was, has been recognized for hundreds of years, it is just now beginning to skyrocket. How many people are affected? You're looking at about 6 to 12 million Americans conservatively another 25 million-plus Americans with persistent disabling chronic fatigue, but not technically chronic fatigue syndrome. So these are very, very common problems. And unfortunately, they're not ones that we've been taught about in medical school because they used to be very rare back then. But now these are things that most of you listening are going to find that you see these patients commonly. Think about the people who come in complaining of achiness, fatigue with no obvious cause, insomnia, brain fog, cognitive dysfunction, Many of the people who have spastic colon, chronic sinusitis, also have that as part of this bigger process. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Jacob Teitelbaum, Medical Director of the Fibromyalgia and Fatigue Centers in Dallas, Texas, discussing chronic fatigue syndrome. Dr. Teitelbaum, is it more common in women or men? It's about three times more common in women than in men. And this is commonly seen for many immune disorders, whether you're looking at lupus, multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, A woman's immune system is quite different than a man's because a woman has to be able to carry a baby for nine months without rejecting it, or a man's body would reject it out of hand as a foreign body. So like many other autoimmune and immune disorders, CFS has about a three-to-one female-to-male dominance. Is it more common in a certain age group? We see it especially around perimenopause. Because we talk about this being an energy crisis where any of a number of factors that disrupt energy production can go ahead and trigger blowing a fuse, so to speak, called the hypothalamus. And perimenopause, where the estrogen levels start to drop, and estrogen deficiency occurs about 5 to 12 years before the blood tests become abnormal. If women find that their symptoms are getting much worse around their period when estrogen levels are the lowest, it tells you that there's a role of estrogen deficiency or perhaps progesterone deficiency that's occurring. Because of this, the most common age group that we see then would be the 35 to 45-ish year old woman. What causes these conditions? Anything that suppresses energy production or increases energy demand. So basically, if you have chronic infections, there's many viral infections, HHV6, CMV have been implicated, many antibiotic-sensitive infections. Uh, Chronic Lyme, for example, is simply one more subset of people who have blown a fuse, post-polio. So any of a number of infections can trigger it. Also, chronic sinusitis, which according to the Mayo Clinic study, is a reaction to fungal overgrowth in over 90% of cases. And we find that when you treat the underlying fungal overgrowth using Diflucan, 200 milligrams a day for six weeks, plus topical nasal sprays, the vast majority of our chronic sinusitis patients resolve and their spastic colon goes away with it. Anything that disrupts sleep, sleep apnea, restless leg syndrome, upper airway resistance syndrome, spouse that snores, an accident that causes pain, 
Anything that disrupts sleep can trigger it. Many hormonal problems, hypothyroidism, even if it's subclinical with normal blood tests, because of the hypothalamic dysfunction, TSH is simply not reliable in this disease. You have to go based on the clinical symptoms. We mentioned the low estrogen, low testosterone, and then any chronic stresses, chronic situational stresses, toxic bosses, toxic spouses, nutritional deficiencies. Anything that drops energy and prevents you from making energy can trigger these syndromes. Is there a genetic component? Absolutely. 50% of people who have it have a family member with it. And over a dozen recent studies done by the CDC uh, showed that basically these syndromes represent hypothalamic dysfunction in the face of what's called excess allostatic load or excess stress in people who are genetically susceptible based on a number of different genetic defects and different genetic SNPs. How do you respond to those who say chronic fatigue syndrome is psychosomatic? We have to remember that people used to say the same thing about polio. Multiple sclerosis used to be called hysterical paralysis. They said the same thing about lupus until we had the test for that. But basically, our study has shown that, first of all, the CDC is spending over $2 million this year advertising to physicians and patients as well to teach them that this is a very real and devastating disease. There are multiple biochemical disorders that are going on. And to make it very simple, our double-blind studies showed that 91% of patients improve given proper treatment as opposed to a very small percent in the placebo group. If this was a psychosomatic disease, the placebo group would have done every bit as well as the active treatment group. What I would note is we have basically traumatized patients from the past by our arrogant misunderstanding and saying that if we don't know what it is or there's no test, it doesn't exist. We've done this to people with lupus, polio, multiple sclerosis, and we are now doing it to CFS and fibromyalgia. If you still want to be 100 years behind the time or years behind the data and believe that this is all in people's minds, please send the patient to another physician. You cannot help them. How do you distinguish between chronic fatigue syndrome and someone who is going through a very stressful time in their life that temporarily exhausts them? Because usually those people who are going through the severe stress are going to be able to be sleeping a lot if they're exhausted. They'll lay down for the weekend and they'll get an 8 to 10 hours sleep. Because of the sleep disorder that occurs with the hypothalamic dysfunction, that is very pronounced in this illness. So you'll find that the combination of exhausted and can't sleep and persisting despite going on vacation will go ahead and clarify it in most people. If you think that the patient is depressed, there's two simple ways to find out. One, you can ask them. As long as they think that they're not trying to blow off their illness and invalidate it, they will answer yes that they're depressed. But a simple question, if we ask people, do you have many interests, you'll find that people with depression will say, no, there's really not much I'm interested in. Where people with CFS will say, I have dozens of interests, but I'm frustrated. I have no energy to do them. And that, when you talk to a psychiatrist, has turned out to be a very simple, yet elegant and effective discriminant. Biochemically, if you want to check a morning cortisol level, most people with depression and excess stress will be running higher than 24 in a morning cortisol, where most people uh, with CFS and fibromyalgia will have a morning cortisol under 16 to 18 microgram per deciliter. How can people prevent chronic fatigue syndrome? Well, they need to start getting in touch with their own feelings, uh, most importantly. If they start to get a sense of what feels good to them, as opposed to what their mind is throwing at them, because this is an illness of what I call my megatype A overachievers. This is an illness of very driven people, people who are overly responsible, and to take the programming that we have as a child, perhaps a little too seriously, of who we should be and what we should do to get approval. And that's the psychodynamic in this disease. For people to learn, if it doesn't feel good, don't do it. And to learn to say no when things don't feel good. 
is really the game breaker in this disease. In addition, giving optimal nutritional support, because for many people, the RDAs are simply not adequate, and studies show that the American diet does not supply the RDAs for the vast majority of people. So getting proper nutritional support, uh, I like a vitamin powder called the Energy Revitalization System. It's available to physicians through a company called Integrative Therapeutics. One drink, one capsule replaces 35 supplements and tablets a day, outstanding nutritional support, making sure you get eight hours sleep a night, treating hormonal deficiencies early on, especially using bioidentical hormones, including thyroid, and just basically learning to let go of worry a bit results in uh, excellent means of preventing these uh, syndromes. Dr. Teitelbaum, thank you for joining us today. Susan, my pleasure. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.